Second Samuel chapter 19. I do want to mention we are having a couple baptisms this morning at the end of the service, and uh, we're looking forward to that believers' baptism. And then also wanted to mention we had a wonderful men's meeting last night. Wonderful, wonderful. Brother Louis Margatan brought our devotion, did a really good job, and uh, also we had just a, a wonderful meal. Uh, Brother Aaron and uh, Katie put that on and. Uh, uh, did a bang-up job, and Ken Kreider, he was the guy that started the the ribs and the chicken on the smoker at noon, and I'm telling you what, it was awesome, awesome meal, and uh, Katie made some apple, oh, I'm just telling you, I was so blessed, <laughs> it was just wonderful, about two o'clock in the morning I wasn't, though, I, I, uh, I told my wife, I said, I need some Tums. She said, we're out of them. I said, oh, no, no. But it was so good. It was so good. We enjoyed it. And we had 32 men. And uh, the ladies always beat us on that. But um, it's getting better. I appreciate Aaron's leadership each month as we have the men's meetings. And fellas, if you're free, always come to the men's meeting. You'll get a great devotion. You'll have fellowship and always a good, good meal. Okay? Now, let's get into Second Samuel this morning. Chapter 19, 2 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to begin reading God's word in verse 9. 2 Samuel 19 in verse 9. The Bible said, And the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land, uh, the land of Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? And King David sent to Zodok and Abathar, the priest, saying, Speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house? seeing the speech of all Israel is come to the king, even to his house. Ye are my brethren, ye are my bone and my flesh. Wherefore then are ye the last to bring back the king? 
and say to Amasa, Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. And he bound the heart of all the men of Judah, and as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word unto the king, Return thou and all thy servants. Verse 15. So the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal, to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. I want to talk to you today for a little bit on welcoming the rightful king back. Welcoming the rightful king back. I read a story not long ago that really touched my heart and I think it's a a good opening for our thoughts today. A number of years ago, Newsweek magazine carried a story of the memorial service held for Hubert Humphrey, former vice president of the United States. Hundreds of people came from all over the world to say goodbye to their old friend and colleague. But one person who came was shunned and ignored by virtually everyone there. Nobody would look at him, much less speak to him. That person was former President Richard Nixon. Not long before, he had gone through the shame and infamy of Watergate. He was back in Washington for the first time since his resignation from the presidency. Then a very special thing happened, perhaps the only thing that could have made a difference to break the ice in that room. President Jimmy Carter, who was in the White House at that time, came into the room. and Before he was seated, he saw Nixon over against the wall, all by himself. He went over to him and greeted him as a family member. He stuck out his hand to the former president and smiled broadly. To the surprise of everyone there, the two men embraced each other. And Carter said, welcome home, Mr. President, welcome home. Commenting on that, Newsweek magazine asserted, if there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment, that gesture of love and compassion. Now our text this morning here about David is much like that. David was ostracized by the people of God. He was shunned by certain in the kingdom that did not love him, did not like him, didn't want anything to do with him, and definitely didn't want to serve him. And this is the way this text opens before us this morning. And it reminds us of of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is not wanted in this world. He is shunned. He is ostracized. He is ridiculed, except for God's people. But you know, there is a truth this morning of this text that we'll look into. In some Christians' lives, he has become a figurehead in their life instead of Lord and Lord and King of Kings on their heart and the throne of their heart. And you know, we have to open our hearts and minds and realize today, Jesus doesn't want us to be part-time Christians. He wants us to be full-time in love with him And wanting him to rule and reign in our lives. And so as Mr. Nixon was unwanted because of his wrongs. We have to remember Jesus has done nothing wrong. He just wants to be in his rightful place. King of our hearts. King of our lives. Amen. Now we can understand why the world doesn't want him. But I'll never understand nor does God understand why Christians don't want to be under his authority and yield to his kingship and lordship in their lives. 
Now I want to give us some information that I think is important on the background of King David in our text. We read this morning in first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19, uh, these verses about certain of the kingdom not wanting anything to do with him. But look at verse 8, if you would. We did not read that verse. In 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 8, the Bible said, Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told unto the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. You know, I imagine there may have been some that were a little bit afraid of King David coming back because they thought maybe he might be vengeful. Uh, he might be angry. He might take it out on them. And, you know, I don't know if there's somebody here today, yeah, one time you walked with the Lord and you served the Lord and you've gotten distant from him and away from him. And, and sometimes I think, some people think that if they come back to the Lord, then God's going to get even with them and God's going to treat them in an ill manner. But I want to tell you something. Our King, our God is a gracious God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a long-suffering God. And all he's ever wanted is for you to come home to him. For you to allow him to have his rightful place in your life. Now, here King David, he was the rightful king. He belonged in the city of Jerusalem reigning over God's people. But through tyranny and falsehood, he was wrongly treated. He was lied about. He was booted out of the palace in his rightful place as king, sovereign of God's people. Again, not because he'd done anything wrong, but the people had got in their mind, the majority of the people in the realm, they got tired of him. They wanted a younger, more progressive, more charismatic figure of state to rule over Israel. You see, Israel's always been fickle. When they were looking for their first king, what were they looking for? Somebody tall and good looking and strong. And, and that was not what God wanted for them. But that's what they got. Hey, you need to be careful because what you want sometimes is not what you need. And what you pine for and what you beg for may be a wrong thing for you. We just better trust God in what he's doing in our lives. Amen. But through the providence of God, Absalom, the king's rebellious son, traitor to the crown, he was divinely dealt with with God in battle. We won't take time, but in 2 Samuel chapter 8, we see the story how this handsome, I call him the handsome, handsome hippie king. Uh, he had that long hair and all the women like that. And he was good looking and tall. And he was a rock star type rebel, you know. But finally God got even with them. They were in battle and that beautiful wavy uh, hair of his got caught in the, the Bible said the tree, uh, up in a bowl of a tree. And he's hanging there by his hair and he couldn't defend himself. And then Joab, who hated him and wanted him dead, he came through and the Bible said he, he ran three darts through him and he died. He didn't die as a sovereign. He didn't die as a king. He didn't even die as a king's son in right relationship. He died as a rebel. But David's heart was broken. He knew something wasn't right when Joab came in the door and he said, Is the young man safe? Is the young man safe? And every time he asked the question, he could tell on the face of Joab that there was not a good response. Now, by the way, are your children safe? Are they in Christ? Do they know the Lord? Are your children in right relationship with Christ in your own home? 
Are they stiff-necked? Are they rebellious? But parents, you ought to pray. I'm telling you, don't get easier the older they get. So you better just really get a hold of God while you can and fast and pray that God will turn their heart back to the king. And it's always good that we as parents and grandparents set the example, by the way. Is the young man safe? Is the young man safe? Well, in this text, we see that it made common sense for the people to get the king back on his throne. He'd been gone because, you know what? Absalom stole the kingdom from him. You remember that? Uh, Absalom decided one day that he wanted to be king, and he went and sat at the gate of the city, and all that came in and out to him, he kind of did the political put-your-arm-around-him, pump-in-the-hand, slap-in-the-back position, saying, if I were king around here, I'd do it this way. If I were king around here, I'd allow this. And he won the hearts of the people. You know why? They were rebellious too. And they were not right with God. And Absalom took over the reign of, of, of David, his father, and it wasn't supposed to be that way. And some of them wanted him to rule and reign over them because, quite frankly, I think they knew they could push him around. They could do anything they wanted to him eventually. And so David fled for his life, and he was the rightful king. And there were these folks that wanted him back. Thank God for some Christians that want Jesus to rule and reign in their life. I'm thankful Christian people that will yield themselves to Christ and obey his command and, and, and love him like they ought to. Oftentimes, I think about why people get so rebellious and negative and backslid on God. And here's the answer. They just don't love the Lord. We wonder why some men won't, uh, uh, won't raise their families right. Some husbands and wives fuss and don't have a good home life. We wonder why sometimes God's people are, are, are not with it, so to speak, with the king and doing what he wants them to do. And it always boils down to this. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart mind, and thy soul. And just some of God's people don't love God as much as they think they do or even say they do. Listen, we need to put Jesus Christ back on the throne where he belongs in our life. That's his rightful place. Now, the scripture bears witness that David was the rightful king. He was God's choice to govern God's people. He was recognized by Samuel the prophet, and he was anointed to be king. He was recognized and promoted, listen, by Jonathan, and Jonathan was the son and the royal seed of King Saul. He could have claimed that throne. But you know, Jonathan saw something in David. He saw the hand of God. He saw the touch of God. He saw the call of God on his life to be king. And he backed off. And so there's no doubt in Scripture that David was the rightful king. And again, there were some that promoted him and put him in his place in their heart. There were many faithful uh, people of Israel that loved David that supported David, although they were smaller in number at that time. But rest assured, the scripture teaches that David was the sovereign king. And again, he pictures for us the Lord Jesus Christ, who wants to rule and reign in our hearts and life, and should be ruling and reigning in all of our hearts. Jesus was the appointed king, according to scripture. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was Jesus Christ. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting. He was not only appointed king, he was anointed king. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God, listen, was with him. No doubt about Jesus' ministry. God was with him. Look at all the miracles. Look at the preaching that he did. Look at the, the, the compassion that he had on his, on his constituency, his people. Oh, Jesus was King of kings and Lord of lords. He was the anoint, appointed king. He was the anointed king. He was the approved king. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Now here's the words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. By miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. There was nobody that couldn't tell that Christ, Jesus Christ, was the true Messiah and Lord of Israel. But they would not have him. They would not have him. Next, I want you to notice this morning, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the righteous king. Not the rightful king, but he also was the righteous king. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Hey, the scriptures attest that Jesus, as he walked on this earth, he walked among men and he was sinless. They never saw anybody like that before. I've often thought about this. You know, John the Baptist, when he was getting ready to die, he sent word saying to Jesus' disciples and to him, he sent his disciples to Jesus' disciples and him, and said, is it really you? Are you really them? And you know, he got a word back from Jesus, said, yes, I'm him. He had some doubt. You know, when you're going through hard times, sometimes you doubt God. You can't figure out how God can be in something that's so hard, so difficult, but sometimes God works that way. Our place is to just realize he's sovereign God, and I'll worship him no matter what. Amen. But John sends this message back to John, or Jesus sends this message back to John, wondering for sure. I got to know for sure. I'm getting ready to have my head lopped off. I got to know for sure. Are you him? And he was. But John had done no wrong. He just preached the word of God. Again, sometimes things happen in our life and we have done no wrong, but God allows certain things for his glory, his honor, through his wisdom and will. But there were some that um, wondered at times. And I often thought about John. Why did he wonder? You understand the scripture teaches that they were cousins. And in their early life, I often thought, and I can't prove this, but often thought, John must have thought, man, he is so different. He's different from anybody I've ever met. I mean, as a young man, he never did anything wrong. The young people would do something, and you know how young people can maybe get out of line or whatever. He never got out of line. Jesus was always the example to everybody. He was always sinless. He was always pure. He was always right. They get together and probably said, let's go do this and let's go do that. No, we ought not do that. Jesus would never be involved in that. And it probably, John must have thought, man, he is really different. He was different on purpose. He was king. He was Lord. He was Messiah. Oh yeah, he's different. And all men saw him as different. But the Bible says he was tempted, but he did not give in to temptation. Now be careful, temptation is not sin. Giving in to temptation becomes sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And because of that, he was hated by most. He was held in suspicion. 
subject, yet without sin. The spotless Lamb of God, innocent, pure, sinless. 1 John 1, 9 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. As Jesus lived this earthly life, we read about it in the Bible, they could find no fault in him. As Dr. Green used to say years ago, he's everything he claimed to be and more. Amen. The promised Messiah, the Savior of Israel, the Savior of all mankind. And as the sacrificial lands back in the Old Testament days were carefully inspected by the priests for defect and deformity, they found them to be fit or unfit. When they looked at the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, they found no taint, no sin. No suggestion of any sin. Amen? No hint of unworthiness. He was everything he claimed to be. Amen. The Bible says in Luke 23, 4, Then said Pilate, the chief priest to the people, remember when they had him on trial, he said, I find no fault in this man. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched again, this verse, with the feeling of our infirmities, but within all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So it's very clear from the word of God, Jesus is worthy. He's the substitution, the sacrifice for anyone that will call upon him. He is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. 1 Peter says it this way, chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. I'm so glad that Jesus died for me. I'm the unjust. He was, he's just. And he could have sent me to hell, hell and would have been just in doing so. But praise the Lord. He forgave me of my sins, changed my heart, changed my life. Where would you be without Jesus? Where would your family be? My wife and I were talking the other day. I said, well, hon, we think about our family. We think about our children. Had we not got saved when we got saved? Had we not surrendered when we surrendered? Where would our family be? Where would our grandbabies be? Where would be other people that we've come to know in this life. I'm not much, but there have been some people that have surrendered to God through preaching and been under our ministry all these years, and it's not me, it's the Lord. But what if I hadn't got saved? What if I hadn't surrendered to the Lord? Listen, Christian, is he king of your life? Is Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart this morning? Are you, are you where you're supposed to be? In line with Christ. And realize this, not everybody's going to join you. Thank God for those that stay with David through thick and thin. You remember when David came back, there was a man named Shimei. He got wrong information, by the way. But the information that came to him when David came by, he cursed David. He threw dust at David when he went by. He threw rocks at David when he went by. And one of his soldiers said, we should just kill him. Look what he's saying. Look what he's doing. David said, leave him alone. What a picture of our Lord. 
Hey, we're not everything we're supposed to be, and sometimes we're not even right with him, but he's so merciful. He's so kind and considerate. Maybe sometimes in anger, sometimes in bitterness, sometimes in sorrow, sometimes in loss. We, 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 we wonder why God is doing such a thing, and we get maybe a, a hard heart toward God, or we, we get upset with God, or we can even get bitter with God. I've seen people get away from God in the house of God because of the things that's happened in their life. Listen, that's being a Shemai. I want to be like the rest of the kingdom saying, we want our king back. Let's put him back on the throne. Hooray, he's coming again. Where's your heart today toward your Savior? So I'm for him. Well, that means that you're in yieldingness to him, in obedience to him, right? That means you're serving him with all your heart. That means you're separating yourself from this world to honor him. That's what it ought to mean. Amen. Why? He's the righteous king. He's the rightful king. But then we're moving on in the text. David became the rejected king by the majority, by the populace. And that's where we're at today. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus says, and then, did you ever read in the scripture, Jesus is talking. He's talking to the leadership of Israel, the elders of Israel. He said, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You know when he said that, how angry they were? They knew what he was saying. Jesus was saying, hey, I'm the cornerstone. I'm the sure foundation. And you fellows have rejected me. You think you know so much about the word of God, you don't even know who I am. That's what he was saying. Oh, they didn't like that. See, the cornerstone, the chief stone was where the, the whole building rested upon. Hey, our faith rests on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you ever forget that as a believer. He's the chief cornerstone, and we need to build our lives, our families, our marriages on him, on Jesus Christ. And again, David here is picturing the Lord Jesus in his rejection. They rejected him. They rejected David. They were fickle. They were, they were rebellious. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, came to Israel, the house of Israel, but they rejected him. You know what they wanted? They wanted a conquering king. They, they wanted somebody that they wanted to rule and reign over them. Jesus came humble and lowly and different. And he told them, my kingdom is not of this world. They didn't pay attention. And they rejected him. But again, some days they liked him, some days they didn't. One day it was Jesus, have mercy on us. The next day we have nothing to do with thee. One day they bring him through the city, a triumphal entry. They're hailing him, they're honoring him. Hosanna in the highest, they said. Next day they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. How could you say something like that? He wasn't what they wanted. What they wanted was nobody to tell them what to do. Oh boy, is that time to preach. I could preach on that. How many Christians I know, they don't want nobody telling them what to do. Oh, I'm so glad I got a Lord and Savior that directs my steps. If it wasn't true, I would be a mess this very day. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Amen. I want the Lord to direct my steps. I want him to tell me. I want him to convict me. You know, the Bible says preaching ought to be reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We don't like the reproving. We don't like the rebuking. We want all the exhortation. But true preaching, get all three. We need all three. And I need the Holy Ghost to convict me and deal with me 
and I need to think about who Jesus is and who I am, and I just need to hit my face before him and say, Lord, you lead. I want you to lead. I want to be everything you want me to be, Lord. That's what God wants in our life, and I've not always been that way. We live in a world today that wants to reject him. Luke 19, 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. The other night, my wife and I were getting ready to go to Brother Sharpetta's mission conference. We had our mission conference. And then Brother Hector wanted to know if we could come on Monday night. My wife was going to sing and I was going to come and support the meeting. And Pam had a little mishap and she couldn't sing that night. And so I said, you know, Hector, we'll come Tuesday night. We went Tuesday night, and for years and years and years, we have mission conferences that usually is on this fateful day called Halloween. Now, I'm not preaching on Halloween. I'm not for Halloween because of its origins, but I'm not picking on anybody. But I will say this. It was Halloween. We were getting ready to go to this meeting, and I told my wife, I said, honey, a couple days earlier, I said, something strange is going to happen to us. We lived in the parsonage next door for years, and no little children came by to knock on our door because we were on Stark Road here. And I, don't, I, I think the 14 years we lived in that house, 12, maybe 12 years we lived in that house, I had, we might have had two or three kids actually come up to our door and say trick-or-treat or whatever. So, you know, we never had them. Then we had meetings. We always had the mission conference late in October, and so if they did come by, we didn't know. We were over here having meetings. And then we had the house built over the street by Brother Chuck and his boys, and we loved that home, lived there. But you know, same thing, we're on Stark Road. Hardly had anybody come by with their children for trick-or-treat. Well, now we're in the new neighborhood down the street, and there are tons of kids. I mean, there's, there's thousands, it seems, of kids in that neighborhood. And I told my wife, we're going to be in trouble. And I didn't know I was going to Hector's that night. I thought I was going on Monday night. So I went out and bought a bunch of candy. I said, preacher, that's supporting it. No, 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 it's opportunity. It's not the little kid's fault. And they're going to come to your door. And I said, well, I'll give them a gospel track. Give them a couple pieces of candy. Who knows? Maybe somebody will get saved. So you just do it the way you want to. I'll do it the way I want to, okay? So we were getting ready to go to the meeting, and they started coming. It's just a little dusky, and they started coming. And they come to the door. There was Superman and Superwoman and a go, whatever. And they came, and I gave them like three pieces of candy, and I gave them a gospel track, and they went some more. It was the third time coming down the driveway to our house, and I was standing on the porch. I'm getting ready to put the candy on the porch, and I told my wife, we can't stay. So I wrote a little note on there, and it said, we cannot be home tonight, but please take three pieces. I don't know how that went, but three, take three pieces, and please take a gospel track with you. And thank you, have a good night. And so I was getting ready to put it down, and here come these children. That's what I'm getting to. I give them their little gospel track. I give them their candy. They're about halfway down, and here comes this mother. She's livid. She comes up that driveway with those tracks, and she throws them at me and says, this is not what Halloween's about. And I said, you know what, you're right. <laughs> but she was mad. She was mad as a hornet. And she said, this is not what Halloween's about. And she's mad at me. She's, she's out of control. And as the children are coming up and the other mothers are coming, she's telling them, this man, he's going to give. And I'm thinking, this lady's nuts. And I think everybody else thought she was too. 
And all the little children are cowering. I'm thinking, I feel bad. They think I'm some kind of maniac or something from the way this lady, she's going down the street yelling at me. Yelling, and I thought, boy, she's taught her children to be nice, gray-haired old men. And she taught them respect for elderly. She's taught, I mean, she was way out of control. And it just reminded me, that's where this world is today. They don't want nothing to do with God, the gospel. I told her, I said, that piece of paper is about Thanksgiving. You can't be against Thanksgiving, can you? And she just kept yelling and screaming at me, and that's not what this is about, you, you know. And I felt bad, but also was a little angry on the inside. I thought that welling up within me. And I thought to myself, man, that's what our parents are teaching their children today. No God. We're not going to believe in God, the Bible, the gospel. And you know what? They don't even realize that in their heart they're doing this to God. And anybody that represents God. And I drove all the way to that meeting. Finally, I had to, the Holy Spirit reminded me that she didn't know Jesus. And I just let it go. But in my flesh, boy, I wanted to tell her a few things. But I knew this. That's where parents are today that don't know Christ. And they teach one generation after another generation no God, no Bible, no gospel, no church, nothing. We want nothing to do with religion. That's where our world's at today. But you know, they don't need us to be mad at them. They need us to have compassion on them and care enough to put aside our emotions and our feelings and remember their souls for who Jesus died. Amen. But you know, just like David, they didn't want him. Our world doesn't want Jesus today. David came as a victorious returning king. He established his kingdom. And there was a crowd there, thank God, that wanted him. But there's always that crowd that doesn't. The scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Hey, we need to set the example to this world. We need to look for our Savior. We need to look for our coming King. And what more important is the world needs to see in us that we've already made him King. That our life is an example of people that love God and they see in our living, not just our words, our living, that he is rightful king of our hearts. And they can tell by the way you talk, by the way you dress, by the way you live, where you go, what your interests are, what your loves are. They know, and let me tell you something, they know when we're not right. Are you listening? Are you looking for his coming? Are you listening for the shout? Are you looking for his return? Lastly, this morning, David eventually became reigning king and beloved and held dear by the people. The psalmist tells us, or excuse me, Zechariah tells us in his prophecy, chapter 14, verse 5, the Bible says, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach even unto Israel. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled before the earthquakes of the day of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with him. That's talking about the glorious return of our Lord to reign. Not the rapture. The rapture's coming. He's going to come and get us. 
But after that's the tribulation, and after that is the reign of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. Can you imagine, church, one of these days this world will receive him. One of these days he will set up his kingdom. He will rule and reign. But what he wants now from us is for him to let him reign now in our hearts and in our lives. I have a question for you. Is Jesus rightfully reigning in, in your life? In your home? With your kids? Does the whole family love God and serve God? We've got to pray that God might get a hold of hearts again and let the king come back to his rightful throne. Don't quit praying for your rebellious kids. Don't quit praying for family members and friends you know that have walked a little further away from God. Pray for them. Fast. Pray. Beg them. Weep over them that they come back and let the king rule and reign in their hearts. But it ain't going to happen if they see he's not ruling and reigning in ours. Amen? It won't be long. Revelation 5, 12, and 13 says, Worthy is the land that was slain and, and redeemed us to God by his blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor, glory and power to be unto him that sitteth on the throne unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. And then we read in Revelation eleven fifteen, And the angels sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. <laughs> Linda, every time I read that, I think, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? Amen? But is he reigning now? Bring the king back. He belongs back. Amen? And we can look at this text and say, boy, Israel, they were a bunch of stinkers. They weren't right with God. But I have you today. Are you right with God? Is he in his rightful place? We're in a day today where people can take or leave church. Take or live the Christian life. I'm going to serve God the way I feel, I think. We'll teach our kids the way we want to teach them. Like this... Dear, no doubt, lost mother. But you know, we need to have compassion on those that don't agree with this book. But we must, we must set the example by our own selves. Is Jesus ruling and reigning in your heart today? Let's bow our heads with whatever head bowed this morning. We need to welcome the king back. Is Jesus on the throne of your heart? I'm going to ask you a few questions and we'll have an invitation. Are you saved and sure about it? Has there been a time and a place in your life that you invited Jesus into your heart to be your Savior? Have you made him Lord of your life? Have you surrendered to his will? Maybe there's some today that would come for believer's baptism and say, you know, Jesus saved me. And the first thing he told people after they got saved Told the church, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then teach them to observe all things I have commanded thee. My friend, you ought to do all three parts of that great commission. You ought to be saved, you ought to be baptized, you ought to be part of Bible discipleship. Are you living for Jesus? Are you looking for his coming? 
In this invitation, I encourage you, come today, maybe for the first time, and believe on Christ. Maybe you're away from the Lord. Maybe you're not where you ought to be, where you used to be. Maybe you'd come again and rededicate your heart to God. Put him on the throne of your heart. And then maybe today, there's other decisions, there's other issues in your heart. Maybe you're living in the world too much. Maybe you're doing things that you, you'd be embarrassed for other people to know about. But I tell you, friend, the Lord knows. He knows every conversation. He knows every relationship. He knows where you go. He's fully aware. Is he Lord or are you running your life? Father, please speak to our hearts as believers today to get back in right relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that you would be king of our life. Help us to crown you as such. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand if we would.